The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language and disturbing sexual imagery. I want a bacon sandwich. Yeah, a proper bacon sandwich. Not a rind and a promise. All right. Monday, the 2nd of May, 2016. Papua New Guinea suddenly remembers it's not a colony anymore and acts like a real nation. The court has found that Australia's detention of asylum seekers on Manus Island in Papua New Guinea is illegal. Nicholas Fryer makes some modest proposals. I'm here going to set out the principal legislative agenda of the incoming Fryer government. And there's terror in the streets of Baltimore. This is the man police say threatened to blow up Fox 45 on Thursday. This is the 9pm victory over the adult hedgehog onesie bomber. Where to begin? Where, 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 where to begin? I'm almost uh, tempted to do this entire podcast just of me shouting about hedgehogs and weasels interspersed with deep sobbing. It's kind of late, this podcast. It should have really come out weeks ago. Finally, tonight, Monday the 2nd of May, I'm finally feeling in the right mood to record a podcast and The news is just going berserk. Every five minutes for the last few days, there's been yet another crazy news story. The Large Hadron Collider, the world's largest particle accelerator, was shut down by a weasel. I don't know why. I don't know what weasels have got against particle physics. They've failed to explain themselves as a species, have weasels. And then, I think it was Friday morning I woke, maybe it was Thursday, and I saw the headline, Man in Hedgehog Onesie with Bomb Strapped to His Chest Sparks Panic in Baltimore. Now, I thought about that for a while and then I saw um, Blogs of War's observation that the mere purchase of an adult-sized hedgehog onesie should trigger some kind of counter-terrorism or law enforcement tripwire and I think he's right. But it got worse. Then I saw a headline. This one was from Fox News. Police said the suspect, aged in his 20s, was alive but refusing to cooperate with the authorities. And I thought, this is kind of the world's worst superhero, really, isn't it? Uncooperative hedgehog boy. I mean, <laughs> he'd be a prick, right? Oh, gee, that's terrible. Look, before I go any further, let's uh, listen to a proper report on this from uh, the local CBS station, uh WJZ13. A suspect wearing an animal costume and what appeared to be a bomb strapped to his chest is shot by police after threatening to blow up a news station here on TV Hill. WJZ is live with complete coverage. Rick Ritter, Avajori Burnett and George Solis have been following the story very closely for us. We begin with Rick with the latest on the suspect. Rick. 
Vic, Ed Breezy tells WJZ that the suspect is his son, 25-year-old Alex Breezy. This was an intense scene that lasted hours today, not just evacuating Fox 45, but putting the entire area on lockdown. Dressed in an animal costume, wearing a surgical mask and sunglasses, this is the man police say threatened to blow up Fox 45 on Thursday, turning the area into utter turmoil. Bizarre dangerous behavior of a, a singular individual. Around 1 o'clock, a 25-year-old from Howard County walks into the Fox lobby where he's met by a security guard. He walked in, opened up his um, hedgehog outfit that he had on, and he pretty much said he had a bomb on him and that he had to, uh, he had a message that he needed to be heard. That message was on a flash drive, which he demanded to have put on TV. We saw that a, a, a valid threat, and so we called the police, and at that point we thought it was safest that we evacuate the building. Police and tactical teams quickly swarmed the area and find the man sitting just inside the station's doors. A little more than an hour later, he walks out. Man's out on the street. But refuses to comply with officers' demands. He's then shot at least three times before collapsing. A robot was eventually deployed to disarm him before he was taken to the hospital. But in the end, it turns out he was wearing a fake bomb. Those devices were actually chocolate candy bars wrapped in aluminum foil with wiring uh, connecting each of them. A bizarre scene police say left them with very few options. When he walked out on the street, he posed a threat to this community, a threat yes. to the officers, and they were forced to use uh, uh, their real guns to shoot the suspect. Police say the wiring went all the way down Breezy's arm. One reason why they thought the bomb was real. He is in stable condition tonight, but is expected to survive. Police say when they arrived on scene, they also found a vehicle on fire in the Fox 45 parking lot. They believe that vehicle belonged to the suspect, but they're still investigating. Reporting live tonight, Rick Ritter, WJZ Eyewitness News. Now, Baltimore may have got this hedgehog situation under control but I was concerned about Australia's readiness for this. So I asked uh, Ed Husich MP, who admittedly is a Labor federal MP and therefore in opposition, but he is Labor's spokesperson on matters of innovation and high tech. And I tell you what, an adult size hedgehog onesie is nothing if not high tech, I asked him on Twitter, what is Labor's position on adult hedgehog onesies? Is the Baltimore Police Department soft on adult hedgehog onesies? I expected a serious and informed reply from Ed Husich, but he said, quote, ha, give me some sticky tape, still just broke the internet with this tweet. Well, that's just typical politicians deflecting the media rather than answering the vital policy questions of our time. And speaking of questions, there are many unanswered questions about this whole adult hedgehog onesie bomber saga. Baltimore deserves answers. For example, we know that this item that this young man claimed was a bomb turned out to be made of candy bars, wires, a motherboard from a fire extinguisher and a flotation device. Well, what sort of candy bars? We know they're chocolate, but we need some more specific information about these candy bars. And a flotation device. What sort of flotation device are we talking about here? We also know that the security guard 
at the Fox TV station said that the man had a flash drive containing files that had to do with astronomy. Quote, it pretty much had to do with anything with astronomy, black holes, the sun, about it being liquid and gas, and he just wanted to say that the government was wrong in thinking about the way they do when it comes to anything in space. Well, we need to know more details about what was on that flash drive. Exactly where is the government wrong? What are they trying to cover up here? What is on Alex's flash drive, people? Baltimore deserves to know. And there's one final, final important question here. Is the hedgehog blue and black or white and gold? Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Welcome to The Edict. If you were to look at the full timeline of political history in Australia, what would you pick as the most important national policy? Now, you could say it was federation itself when the uh, colonies that formed Australia came together in 1901 to create the Commonwealth of Australia. That's pretty big. But let's move beyond that. Would you pick uh, our decision during World War II to shift our focus for defence from the United Kingdom to the United States? Would you look, uh, say, to 1951 for the codification of that in the ANZUS Treaty, Australia, New Zealand and the United States, a mutual defence treaty? Uh, Would you look at the Mabo decision on land rights? Uh, Would you look at the the labour laws such as, you know, the eight-hour day? Or would you look at uh, our decision to withdraw from the Vietnam War? Or maybe... Australia's groundbreaking work in giving women the vote or creating the secret ballot. In fact, the secret ballot was around the world for a long time known as the Australian vote, the Australian ballot. Well, there's so many things to choose from, so many advances in democracy, so many progressive ideas. But here's what Labor's spokesman on immigration, Richard Marles MP, thinks is the most important political policy in Australia's history. Offshore processing has been the single most important policy that any Australian government has made in terms of of bringing an end to the journey between Java and Christmas Island. What a cunt. What a pathetic, morally bankrupt Hunt. Now, admittedly, I was angrier when I first saw some reportage of what Mr. Richard Miles MP had said because they'd left out that little bit at the end about it being the most important policy in relation to stopping the journey from Java to Christmas Island. But why is that such an important thing? Why is that, that little bit of water and stopping people making that journey, so vital to Australia's well-being? Well, it's not. To put that in context, have a listen to this. This is Kenneth Roth, who's Executive Director of Human Rights Watch. He was speaking on uh, Radio National's Sunday Extra yesterday. 
the boat crisis at its height for Australia was about 30,000 people coming in in a year. Um, you know, that represents something like um, you know, 0.15 percent of Australia's population. Um, Germany in the last year took in 10 times that number on a per capita basis and largely did it willingly. And what does Mr Roth think of Papua New Guinea's decision to close Manus Island? Well, frankly, the, the PNG court and, and then the, the prime minister um, did the right thing and frankly did what Australians should have done long ago. I mean, the Australian policy is basically to, you know, take people who seek asylum by boat and put them in conditions that are so miserable on Manus Island or, or in Nauru that, that, you know, they're going to opt to go back to Syria. You know, they're going to go say life is better under ISIS than it is in this endless detention center. So PNG said, you know, we're not going to have any more to do with this. Um, this is not in compliance with international refugee law. What's really depressing, and I was reminded of this uh, by someone on Twitter, is that this really is a core part of Australia's history. The very first act after Federation in 1901 was passing the 1901 Immigration Restriction Act, that is, the White Australia policy. From its very beginnings, Australia has had institutionalised racism in its immigration policy and these concentration camps on Manus Island and in Nauru are just the latest, latest instalment in this sad history. Very shortly after I called Richard Miles a cunt on Twitter, Twitter suggested I should follow him, but I'm sorry, Twitter, I wouldn't follow Richard Miles MP if I were a dog who'd been drinking all day and he were the only tree. One of the things I love about Twitter in the sense that there's things that I love about dysentery is how helpful people are when you ask for advice. And like the same thing happens in forums on the web and I guess in Facebook too, but I don't use Facebook. Uh, but Twitter gives you these things to love so much faster. A few days ago, for example, my MacBook Pro developed a display fault and I won't go into the details, but I knew exactly what the problem was. I knew the machine was going to need a new display. I knew, therefore, that it'd have to go in for repairs, which would take a few days. So I knew I needed to borrow a replacement from somewhere for those few days. Now, I'd already tweeted about that problem as I understood what it was. So then I tweeted exactly this, quote, given that this MacBook Pro will presumably need to go in for a repair, has anyone got a spare Mac laptop I can borrow for a few days? Seems pretty clear, right? Well, first up, someone's asked if I could plug in a second screen. Yes, sure. But what use is that when the machine is going in for repairs? Other people told me about how fragile Macs are now and had a bit of a whinge about the interface and a whinge about Macs. That's great, but who gives a fuck? And then someone told me about a confusing interface on a completely different thing because we just had gripes about interfaces. And a couple of people suggested... I just buy a new computer and then return it within 14 days. Apparently that's something Apple will let you do, which kind of assumes that I have that kind of money or credit lying around. I don't. But really, 
isn't buying something you know you'll return kind of, well, unethical? And then someone said, I was hooked, addicted to the computer. It's like, no, you fucked hard, it's my work tool. And then someone said, if your living depends on it, get Apple Care. Uh, yes, I do have Apple Care. That's what's going to cover the replacement screen. But the hardware is going away to be repaired, and that's why I need to borrow one. Why is this so difficult? Anyway, I have organised a loaner MacBook Pro thanks to uh, an anonymous, generous person. I'm producing this podcast now as I speak. So Twitter is useful for something. So thank you to that anonymous person. And once more, my work is made possible by my supporters. Indeed, this podcast is made... Yes, yes, this is just a, a really long intro to the past the plate bit. This podcast is made possible by you, the listeners, through your subscriptions and one-off contributions. This episode, I would like to thank the new subscribers. None, there haven't been any. And the generous one-off contributions from... No one either. That's because I'm really bad at this past the plate thing. I'll fix that in the next uh, couple of months because we've been a bit patchy. I did say that we're going to have a bit of a, a slow period while I work out what happens to this podcast in the long term. Now, in the last episode, I did ask people to let me know what sort of podcast they, they like, this sort of magazine-y cruise through the news or whether they liked the, the interview-based ones or whether they liked the uh, uh, public house forum recording in a pub. And the only comments that I received back, and there really only were a couple, were, oh, we like all of them. I mean, that's great, but thank you very much. That really doesn't help me make a decision. <laughs> And now by popular request, or, or really just by the fact we've reached that point in the podcast, here's Nicholas Fryer with a look through the arch window. I've sat down several times to write this edition of The Window, and on each occasion my mind keeps circling around the prospect of the election campaign just kicking off. We face a battle between two parties both pretty much bereft of ideas, and two of the blandest men who ever existed wanting to be Prime Minister. The incumbent got the job principally on the basis that he wasn't Tony Abbott and has since governed on the basis that he isn't anybody else either. His opponent spent three years carefully not believing in anything. From what I can tell, the only new policy on the opposition side is on emissions control, which turns out to be the old policy, only not quite as much, in case it frightens the horses again. On polling day, I will probably just manage to maintain the will to live but I can't help wondering if it all might have been different. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. No one is as surprised as I am to be standing here today. Uh, like you, I expect I will always remember where I was when I heard that few short weeks ago that the entire Parliament building had unprecedentedly sunk into a literal swamp, taking every elected politician in the country with it. I will remember, too, the feelings that came with that news of the shock, uh, the uncertainty, 
and, but mostly the conviction that justice must be done for those we lost or had been done to those we lost, one of those anyway. In any event, had it not been for the momentous events of that day, either Mr Turnbull or Mr Shorten would be standing here now. Of course, our thoughts are with their families who uniquely among the people of this country are now mourning their absence. But it's time to look to the future, not the past. So I'm here going to set out the principal legislative agenda of the incoming Friar government. I'll pass briefly over the matters set out in detail during the campaign. I confirm my government's intention to move swiftly to a post-fossil fuel economy. We will immediately introduce a substantial tax on carbon emissions, offset by the removal of payroll taxes and other imposts on employment, and, as appropriate, a concomitant reduction in the corporate tax rate. Tax benefits will be available to encourage large-scale renewable energy projects. Uh, the sale of new internal combustion engines will be illegal from 2020. A complete overhaul will be undertaken of the welfare system. All existing benefits will be abolished to be replaced by a basic income at the current minimum wage level paid to all citizens regardless of circumstances. Applications by those facing specific difficulties will be considered by an independent commission with statutory powers similar to ASIC or the Human Rights Commission currently. The national disgrace that is the offshore detention system ends now. Every asylum seeker will have the same access to the legal system afforded to every other person in this country. All asylum applications will henceforth carry a rebuttable presumption of eligibility. Any claim not processed within 12 months will result in the automatic grant of residency status to the applicant. I realise that this has been a sensitive subject in Australian political discourse for decades now, and I hasten to assure the Australian people that we propose to be reasonable about this. Accordingly, if anyone not an obviously massive racist can find anything genuinely to complain about with the above policy, we'll be happy to revisit it once we've processed the first, say, million applicants. I note that a million people is less than 5% of the current population of the country, and even assuming rates of maritime arrival return to the highest ever seen, that review of the policy will be due in about 50 years. The previously announced money-flushing exercise and public bigotry festival popularly known as the Gay Marriage Plebiscite is cancelled. A bill will be introduced next week to make the necessary changes to the Marriage Act to bring the country into line with the rest of the civilised world. But that issue, while important, is not itself sufficient to address the injustices faced by gay and lesbian Australians, which is why we also, among other measures, will be introducing legislation to make the public equation of homosexuality with sexual attraction for children, non-human animals and inanimate objects a criminal offence punishable by 48 hours in the stocks. Of course, in passing such legislation, we do need to have regard to the rights of those who feel otherwise. Accordingly, that legislation will expressly provide that George Christensen is, evidence to the contrary notwithstanding, deemed to be neither a child nor a non-human animal nor an inanimate object, and anyone finding themselves sexually attracted to George will be free to pursue that end as long as the rest of us don't have to think too much about what the resulting Congress would actually look like. On the subject of gross indecency, I'm nationalising the entire print media industry, confiscating the lot. You people can't clearly be trusted with plastic cutlery and, let's face it, we don't need you. It's been years since you were anything but mouthpieces for corporate interests and you get better journalism on BuzzFeed. You're done. Don't let the door whack you on the way out. 
the presses will be put to use printing books for kids. Right. Constitutional change. The forthcoming referendum on the new head of state will not this time be carefully managed to ensure that it fails. Up for grabs will be a directly elected president, probably. Whatever the Irish use, that seems to work. Taking effect on the death of Elizabeth II. If it gets up, we'll need an interim pres until elections can be held. Maybe two for gender parity. How about Gillian Triggs on even-numbered days? Ian Thorpe on odd ones. He's always well turned out. I don't think he's got much on at the moment. If they're too busy, maybe H.G. Nelson and that nice Lisa McCune. The flags are goner, too, obviously. I've always liked the ACT and NT flags. They look kind of you know, modern but still classy. So we'll adopt that basic layout and maybe have an internet competition to see what we can put in its place. Yeah, you heard right. If we end up with a flag with a picture on it of a kangaroo smoking a bong while having a wank, well, A, we won't be mistaken for New Zealand anymore, that's for bloody sure, and B, if anybody wants to wear it like a cape and let everyone know they're a nationalist meathead, well, at least they'll be easy to spot. That's probably enough to be getting on with for one night. We're all busy people, I'm sure. I should close by thanking my family, my kids, if anyone knows where they are and can get them to look up from their tablets, Tell them to Google Prime Minister of Australia and see if they recognise the mug from Storytime. And uh, to my darling wife, uh, Scarlett Johansson, who's been a steadfast supporter, not to mention a little rocket. In- <coughs> Copper. Yeah. Jeez. Mm. You've dribbled in your laptop, dear. ignore the fact that uh, while I'm recording this podcast, news is just coming through that a second asylum seeker at Nauru has decided to set fire to themselves. Happy days, right? What else is there? Um, Oh, yes, probably the best sentence uh, in the news in the last few days, quote, Science Minister Christopher Pine confirmed he is teaming up with biosecurity warrior Barnaby Joyce to give herpes to millions of fish. It's a serious issue. I mean, we'd be making fun of it all afternoon on Twitter, but uh, European carp are infesting the River Murray. Millions of these bloody things, they're crowding out native fish, they're causing all sorts of uh, biological problems. And... uh, The theory is that uh, Deputy Prime Minister and uh, Minister for Agriculture Barnaby Joyce is going to give herpes to these fish. Uh, And look, Twitter was full of jokes this afternoon and yet all these people sort of kicked off. Oh, it's a serious issue. There's, you know, you should understand those people who fish on the River Murray. And I thought... Oh, yeah, it's a serious issue. How dare you make fun of my serious issue because it's serious. Oh, fuck off. Why are you such a special snowflake? If you have tired of the mental image of two besuited buffoons giving herpes to fish, then you have tired of life. Besides, there's no place for sheep, said giving carp venereal diseases will be the ultimate achievement of this government. What else is there? 
Oh, yes, Four Corners tonight. It's probably on as uh, we'll have just finished as I'm recording this. Boomers want millennials to know it was patience and hard work, not luck, that got them into the housing market. This is a big thing in Australia at the moment where housing is just ridiculously expensive. And I thought, oh, that little line there, boomers want millennials to know. Even then, it's about what boomers want. Whereas all millennials want, and all I want for that matter, is somewhere affordable to live, not a fucking lecture. And the very fact that people refer to a housing market rather than homes for people to live in really shows how fucked up their worldview is. Seriously, if boomers think they're where they are because of hard work and not luck, they should talk to their Depression era and World War II era parents. Then they'll learn a thing or two. Might need a seance for that. What else is it? This turning newspaper pages is a crock. It's just for sound effect. I've got it all written down in on the computer screen. Don't know why I'm lying. The newspaper. Another headline I saw this morning from news.com.au. Is this Australia's biggest baby ever? Well, I don't know, is he? Why are you asking me? You're the journalist. Why don't you fucking go find out and let me know? Christ, then I've got a... A press release about Australia's newest 3.0 crowdfunding platform. Don't know what that means. I spent quite a bit of time today laughing at people whining about what the CIA can and can't do on their own goddamn Twitter account. Now, the CIA decided to commemorate the fifth anniversary of uh, the raid which led to the death of Osama bin Laden by kind of live, in quotes, because it's live plus five years, tweeting events as they unfolded. Now, some people thought that was tasteless. Maybe it is too soon, but I can recognise that for the CIA, taking down the world's most wanted is kind of a big deal for them, and certainly them tweeting that, rather than another listicle about growing your influencer network, is perfectly fine by me. And it's not like people are being forced to follow the CIA and read this stuff, right? It's Twitter. You choose your own adventure. Except, that said, there are all those secret CIA harp mind control rays forcing people to act in ways that otherwise they wouldn't. Twitter must be part of that. I've said too much. Then there were other people trying to do stories about QuickFlix, the failed uh, Australian video service that burnt off $40 million in five years. All right, I'll try really hard to care about QuickFlix. Okay, finished. Then there was news that uh, the United States Air Force attempted uh, some launch some practice launch procedures for the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter. You know, let's pretend there's a, a situation unfolding and we need to launch these six aircraft. How well can they do it? Well, one of the six aircraft managed to get through its boot-up sequence and take off. Five out of six didn't. So, uh, yeah, Maybe there's some problems there. Uh, They did say too in this article, and there's a link on the website, uh, that uh, they suffer, it's improving, they suffer a software stability event only every eight hours. I, I love that. Software stability event, meaning when the software isn't stable beautiful bit of doublespeak, unless they really mean it's only stable once every eight hours with the F-35. I wouldn't doubt that. 
And then finally, yeah, look, I'm going to wrap up with this glorious bit of news and it's to be expected. The Australian Federal Government is going to spend $8 million on a TV advertising campaign about national security during the lead-up to the federal election. Have a listen. In our fast-paced world, it's easy to miss anything unusual. But with the ongoing threat of terrorism, we all need to play a part by reporting anything suspicious. Even if you think it's probably nothing, the smallest piece of information can be valuable. Calls to the National Security Hotline have already contributed to investigations. If something doesn't add up, speak up by calling the National Security Hotline on 1-800-123-400 and help keep Australia safe from terrorism. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. Ah, yes, the Australian Government, Canberra. And speaking of them, today is Monday the 2nd of May. Tomorrow is Tuesday the 3rd of May when the federal budget will be announced. On Friday or Saturday, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull will announce when the election will be, although we all know it's Saturday the 2nd of July. Why do we have this pantomime? We know... Actually, it's because they can spend government money on ads like that and not have them kind of count as election material. we got weeks of this bullshit to go. Have a good one. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.